Hello there and welcome into another edition of the Intersection Podcast with conversation highlights from the Meeting House on Faith Radio about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. First up, noted commentator and analyst Oz Guinness provides some biblically-based insight about determining the meaning of our lives, which is ultimately related to our relationship with Christ. Then, Eric Eichinger discusses the significance of numbers that are found in Scripture and how those can help us to learn truths about the Lord. And coming up on this edition of The Intersection, climate change has become a topic that drives discussion and is promoted through policy. The Bible speaks to our care for the environment, certainly, as Calvin Weisner of the Cornwall Alliance points out. But he contends that there are misrepresentations that can lead to fear. His comments are ahead. And finally, from the men's ministry, Man in the Mirror, Patrick Morley offers perspective on a variety of voices that can influence us in accordance with God's will and to promote an agenda contrary to it. He provides understanding and a call to action to control our thoughts. This is the intersection of production of The Meeting House, and I'm Bob Crittenden. Oz Guinness is a noted commentator, really a well-known Christian philosopher, And in his latest book, he explores the meaning of life and the search for it. His latest book is entitled The Great Quest, Invitation to an Examined Life and a Sure Path to Meaning. With comments from a recent Meeting House conversation, this is Oz Guinness. If you take the famous saying by Socrates, which is behind my subtitle, you know, the unexamined life is not worth living. If he's right, most people, including many intellectuals and academics are leading lives not worth living. They've never thought enough or cared enough to think about the meaning of life. And you put your finger on one of the main reasons. Now, of the four phases I describe in the book that seekers go through, the first one is a time for questions. A, A question is what constitutes, comprises a seeker. They've got a question and they need an answer. But most people aren't even there. And you're absolutely right. One of the main reasons is what Pascal called diversion. In other words, we don't want to think about deeply serious things, above all the fact we're going to die one day. So we surround ourselves with busy, entertaining distractions. You know, Pascal wrote that in the 17th century, diversions. But you think of today, triple screen gazing and video games and cell phones and so on. These have been described as weapons of mass distraction. So it's incredibly easy, particularly for young people today, to have their heads in these things, not even engage with God's nature and the world around us and other people, let alone think about deep things like the meaning of life. But we've got to break through that. So diversions are a tremendous reason why people today aren't thinking at all. If you would, please, sir, walk us through, you mentioned these four phases with respect to seeking out these these areas concerning the meaning of life. Walk us through those, if you would, please. Well, they're very simple to say, but the people have to go through them for themselves. So I make clear, my book is not read the book and you have an argument and yes or no at the end. No, it's a description of an adventure, a journey. And people have to follow it through for themselves in real life. In that sense, you know, the word existential is overused today, but it means you have to do it in your real existence. But stage one, as I said, a time for questions. People don't 
think or care at all unless some a question strikes in or life is calling them into question and then they start to search and we could talk more about that because that in many ways today is a crucial one stage two sounds logical a time for answers in other words what would be an adequate illuminating answer to the question that I have. And that's where you, it's a comparative stage. You look at all the possible answers on offer and above all the three big families of faiths, the Eastern family, Hinduism, Buddhism, the new age movement, the secularist family, atheists, agnostics, materialists, and so on. And the Abrahamic family in the West, supremely Jews and Christians and Each of them has a fundamentally different view of what's behind everything, the ultimate reality. Obviously, for Jews and Christians, it's a transcendent, infinite God who is our Father. And all the answers come out differently as you run them through. So that's stage two, a time for answers. Stage three, a time for evidences. Not enough to say, this answer looks terrific. It's adequate. It's illuminating for me. The question is, is it true? Now, we're obviously in a postmodern age, which is described as post-truth, following thinkers like Nietzsche, and many people scorn the very idea of truth. But without truth, we're in trouble. And you can see part of America's crisis, say fake news and so on, is that truth has been thrown out. So that third question, is it true, is incredibly important. And that's the final reason why thinking people should believe anything. They're convinced that what they believe is, in fact, true. But that isn't the end of it. And stage four, a time for commitments. Fully rational, because reason and understanding lead you along, but much more than just reason, because we are. We have minds, and we have emotions, and we have wills. And it's the whole person that makes that commitment to faith at the end of it. And of course, then we discover, we think we've found the Lord, but in fact, we've been found by him. So we've been searching all the time, but actually he's calling and looking for us. So I described the four stages, but as I said, it's not a one book argument, and then you're convinced. No, Mm. people have got to do the searching for themselves. Oz Guinness here on The Intersection. You can learn more by going online to Oz, O-S, Guinness, G-U-I-N-N-E-S-S, dot com. Next up on this edition of The Intersection, it's Eric Eichinger. He has authored a book entitled Faith by Numbers, Deciphering Doctrine with Biblical Numerology. In that book, he shares about the significance of numbers that are found in Scripture and how those can help us to learn truths about the Lord. Here now from that conversation is Eric Eichinger. Martin Luther, uh, one of our uh, our big uh, church uh, scholars and historians uh, throughout the years. And so his big goal was for any Christian that was going to say, yes, I'm a believer, I'm a Christian, uh, he felt that they should know uh, these particular uh, doctrines uh, about the Christian church. You should be able to articulate these. And so, again, this is at a time when a lot of the church can't read and, and all sorts of things. So really, so, you know, that was when he wrote the catechism. And in Luther's catechism, there's the six chief parts, he calls them, uh, which is more of a Lutheran thing. But every Christian is going to recognize and, and validate those. And the, the six chief parts that every Christian should know, Luther felt, was uh, the Apostles' Creed, the Lord's Prayer, understanding baptism, the Ten Commandments, 
the Holy Communion and confession and absolution and, and how that works. And so as I was looking at the numbers, I, I started to recognize how they are used thematically in the Bible do kind of connect with some of these major tenets and you know, doctrines of the faith. For instance, um, the number three, as you pointed out, Bob, it you know, we, we hear that phrase all the time, on the third day, and, and, and when three comes up, it's usually a wink at the Trinity. And so when you mm-hmm. look at the Apostles' Creed, there are three articles of the Apostles' Creed, each paragraph talking about the Father, and then the Son, and then the Holy Spirit. So I thought, oh, there's a link there. Then I went to the number seven and perfection, and you have God, you know, the, the days of the week with, with creation, and <clears throat> how many times, uh, you know, should uh, we forgive when Peter asked Jesus, you know, not seven, but 70 times seven and all these types of things. Um, so seven comes up all over the place. Um, and when they ask Jesus, what's the best way to pray or, you know, kind of like what's the what's the perfect way to pray? So there are seven petitions in the Lord's Prayer. People don't always recognize when we say the Lord's Prayer, we're actually asking God seven different hmm. things. And so um, then baptism is really fun. I connected baptism with the number eight. Eight has to do with covenant and promise. And so in the Old Testament, the uh, the Israelite male uh, baby boy was circumcised and brought into that covenant on, drumroll, the eighth there day. There you go. <laughs> and then in the New Testament, uh, St. Paul connects that in uh, Colossians chapter 2. He connects uh, you know the circumcision uh, with with baptism, and so um, so this whole faith and promise, and then uh, uh, doubting Thomas uh, later is visited by Jesus in the upper room on the eighth day after the resurrection, and the whole interface is with him struggling to believe and then and then confessing Christ and such. You know, we get some of these illusions uh, it, that that trickle down into our culture too, like. Um, the third time is the charm, or lucky mm. number seven. Uh, and with ten, uh, you know, the the judging with yep. uh, Olympics and all sorts of things, you know, that perfect ten type of a score that people are looking at. So that, that collect, uh, correlates uh, very easily to the Ten Commandments. And, of course, ten comes up in multiples of ten all the time, and it, it often has to do with this completeness of, of God and his will and, and everything. Twelve always has to do with God's people. And so you have the uh, the twelve sons of Jacob, uh, Israel, in the Old Testament, and then the twelve tribes of Israel, and then you you even have uh, the twelve spies going into the Promised Land, and then you have the twelve disciples, and and it's it's fun where it's like Judas dies, but then why is it they have to get Matthias in and join because mm. they have to have that completed you know twelfth. Uh, disciple to turn into the apostles to, to go out. So I connected um, that with Holy Communion, and that is, uh, people know that famous Leonardo da Vinci uh, painting with uh, with the Twelve and Christ, and so he's feeding them. And so Twelve comes up in a lot of really fun places, and, and interestingly enough, bread and wine come up a lot of those times when Twelve is emphasized in and in, in even in the old testament so it just po- points to and foreshadows what christ fulfills in the new testament 40 is just you know the bible sort of uh lockstep and barrel for suffering 
and and hope and the, and and the suffering is always before the hope and so and so that yeah like you pointed out a, a lot of people will recognize uh, very quickly some of the prominent locations in the Bible where forty stands out um, and that connects to that but then there's some more fun obscure ones where why was it that Goliath taunted uh, the army of Israel for forty days until David comes out and is the savior why was it that the Philistines uh, tormented for 40 years until Samson arrived on the scene, uh, you know, declaratively by God and such. Eric Eichinger here on The Intersection. You can learn more by going to Eric Eichinger. That is spelled E-I-C-H-I-N-G-E-R, ericichinger.com. Well, this is The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House, and you can find out more by going to meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting the programming section at faithradio.org. You'll find a link to the Media Center, the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on The Intersection Podcast and The Meeting House Program. Also, there are links to the podcast, to the Media Center, as well as the Apple Podcast feed, Plus, there are links to video content, including to the Faith Radio YouTube channel, where you can find recently added content from the 2022 National Religious Broadcasters Convention in Nashville. Plus, you can access two blogs. One is called The Three, with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. There's also The Front Room, with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info or you can go to the programming section at faithradio.org. Conversations from the Meeting House program can also be found through the Faith Radio app and a variety of podcast platforms. Search for Faith Radio Podcast when you visit Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, and other podcast platforms. Moving on now with this edition of the Intersection Podcast. Calvin Beisner, the founder and national spokesman of the Cornwall Alliance for the Stewardship of Creation, offering a biblical worldview perspective on the environment, shared comments with me recently based on his own townhall.com op-ed on misrepresentations on the topic of climate change, some of which were highlighted in a recent piece at the New York Times Magazine. He discussed how misrepresentations can lead to fear, here now from that conversation is Calvin Beisner. 365 times, that's one for every day of the year, the Bible uses a command such as fear not or be not afraid, uh, do not fear. Um, 365 times, that's the most common command that we find in Scripture. Now, that doesn't mean that no fears are ever justified, um, but what it does mean is that we must not live in a, in a sort of a uh, standard state of fear. We must instead recognize that the Lord our God is with us. This is what God told Joshua as he was entering the Promised Land. Uh, don't fear, fear not, I am with you. And that means we don't need to be driven by our fears. Now, Proverbs does say that the prudent man foresees danger and hides himself, shields himself. And so we don't want to just be uh, careless about what we do, but we do want to be, uh, we want to be measured, we want to be carefully thoughtful about things. Now, an awful lot of the environmental movement, including particularly what we would call the climate alarmist movement or the climate catastrophist movement, fundamentally uh, plays on people's fears, telling us that, uh, uh, well, as, as Alexandria 
uh, Ocasio-Cortez put it, uh, you know, we, we have uh, the, the world's going to die in 12 years or people are calling climate change an existential threat. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, UN General Secretary uh, Guterres said that their latest report was code red for humanity. Now, in fact, there was nothing in the scientific report put out by the UN Intergovernmental Policy uh, Panel on Climate Change that justified that kind of description. It is much more sober scientific work. But this is the way that the, the policymakers are handling it. This is the way that the, the activists are handling it. Now, the reality is that there is no need to fear about these things. Uh, a a 1.5 degree Celsius increase in global average temperature, or even a three or four degree Celsius change in global average temperature. For one thing, it comes on so slowly that we have plenty of time to adapt to it, to respond to it. Uh, Few people realize this, but back in the 1980s, there was a book published title escapes me at the moment, but but uh, this scholar, a futurologist named Max Singer, pointed out that half of all the capital, all of the physical wealth in the world had been created within the past 25 years. And now economic growth around the world is even faster than it was back at that time. And I mean, over the long haul, which means that you could destroy half of the wealth in the world right now. And we would have all of that back within about a period of 25 years. Well, sea level is not rising fast enough to destroy half of the world's wealth in 25 years or in a hundred years or in a thousand years. Um, Global average temperature is not rising fast enough to do that. Nothing like that presents that kind of a threat. And so whatever the real threat is, It's certainly not catastrophic. It's not an existential threat. The next thing to think about is 1.5 degrees or 2 degrees change in global average temperature. What does that even mean? What is global average temperature? (laughs) Well, the reality is no place experiences that. The only temperature that matters, that makes a difference for you, is the temperature where you are or where this life life form is, this species, this subspecies, this ecosystem. Calvin Beisner here on The Intersection. You can find out more about the organization by going to cornwallalliance.org. Finally, on this edition of The Intersection podcast, the executive chairman of the Ministry of Man in the Mirror, Patrick Morley, joined me on The Meeting House recently to share information related to his book called the four voices taking control of the conversation in your head. In our conversation, he offered insight into choosing to think in accordance with the Holy Spirit rather than the world, the flesh, and the devil. From that conversation, this is Patrick Morley now. We all know that we have a running conversation with ourselves all day long. We call that self-talk. And of course, we need self-talk because that's how we take the bits and pieces of life and fit them into some kind of a congruent story that makes sense of things. And here's the thing, folks. Uh, We're not the only voice in the conversation. There are four other voices (laughs) that are also up there constantly exerting themselves to influence what we think, say, and do. So those four voices are the world, the flesh, 
the devil, and the Holy Spirit. And our job is to figure out which voice is speaking and then take control of the conversation, especially at 2 a.m. when you wake up and, uh, you know, you start having all these uh, <laughs> terrible thoughts, you know, what's going on up there, right? Yeah, that, that's the, that is, is quite a question. I, I assume that's something that's, that's a thing, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. So three of these voices, you know, they're kind of railing against the higher principles of your Christian faith, yeah. the world, the flesh, and the devil. And uh, they're, the, they're the, basically those voices, they're the root cause of hurt feelings, uh, living to win the approval of others, unforgiveness, not facing our problems like an adult, grudges, uh, you know, misinterpreting social cues, just... Uh, you know, false guilt, shame, so many other things, really just generally feeling the weight of the world. And so in the book, what I want to, my my objective here in the book is to help our reader clarify what's going on up there, Hmm. because knowledge is power. But then not only that, but then uh, most of the book is really devoted uh, to very practical strategies to discern that voice, uh, that uh, and then and actually making the, the adjustment. Actually, I have 27 strategies in the book. Oh, that's great! Making the, called making the adjustment. Each of them is to help make the adjustment. Looking at the numbers, you've got the voice of the Holy Spirit, and you have the voice of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Now, on the surface, you might say, "Well, that's three verses one." You have the good voice, the Spirit, whom we should be listening to, and then you have all these, you know, these other three voices: the world the flesh, and the devil. We know which voice ideally is the most powerful, but it's not necessarily the most powerful in our lives because obviously we are, this information is going through our minds throughout the day. And it's important you use that word clarify. So as you, you think about listening to the right voice and rejecting these other ideas that we get in our heads, how do you, you, you mentioned there are 27 strategies. I'm not going to ask you for a list, but generally speaking, thank how you for we, that. <laughs> how do we narrow? Yeah. How do, how, how do we develop that sensitivity to be able to clearly discern what God is directing us to do? Well, Bob, I, I would say begin by saying I, the voice of the Holy Spirit is, is exponentially more power, powerful than those other three voices combined, if you know how to access it. I, I uh, bought a, uh, a Harley-Davidson uh, full dresser. I bought it, this big old giant Harley-Davidson, and I got it home, and the next morning I was going to take it out for a ride, and I went out to crank it up, and it would not start. I tried everything. I you know, made sure the fuel cock was open. I unhooked the battery cables and hooked them back up and did I just did everything and uh I'm a little embarrassed to say but I I called up a, in, in quite a bit of frustration and I I called the Harley dealer I said come get this motorcycle I don't want it anymore <laughs> and the calm service rep he said well let me let me uh, let me ask you a few questions is that okay I said yeah 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 <laughs> He said, uh, and then he said, you know, did you turn on the ignition switch? I said, well, of course I did. And how about the uh, fuel car? Yeah. And uh, so it has gas in it? Yeah, yeah. And I said, uh, he said, how about the battery cables? So did you, did you check them? I said, well, yeah, I checked those. He said, well, how about the uh, little uh, extra ignition switch up on the handlebars? I said, 
extra ignition switch up on the handlebars. What's mm. that? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So there it I, is. <laughs> so ba- basically, uh, not knowing and not understanding how it worked, it converted that motorcycle into a 650-pound paperweight. <laughs> and uh, so understanding how to turn on the voice of the Holy Spirit, that's really what this book is about. In fact, one of the chapters is even called Cultivating a Sensitivity to the Voice of the Spirit. Patrick Morley here on The Intersection. The website address is maninthemirror.org. Well, thanks for joining me for this edition of The Intersection Podcast. We are nearing the end of this week's edition. You can learn more through meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting the programming section at faithradio.org. You will find a link to the Media Center, the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on the Intersection podcast and the Meeting House program. There are also links to the podcast, to the Media Center, as well as the Apple podcast feed. Plus, you can find links to video content, including the Faith Radio YouTube channel. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House. There's also The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. And you can follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info, or you can visit the programming section at faithradio.org. Thanks for joining me for this edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.